Today on Blue 58, the Packers' 2022 schedule is out. The Packers are signing guys after rookie minicamp, and we've got one big question to take on. How explosive will the Packers' offense be in 2022? Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Packers are wheeling and dealing after rookie minicamp, making two moves ahead of the NFL schedule release slow rollout. Exactly two days, I think. It doesn't really matter. A couple days after rookie minicamp, the Packers added Kobe Jones, an edge rusher out of Mississippi State. He was in minicamp as a tryout player. Now he's made the team for right now. Six foot four, two hundred and sixty pounds. He appeared in forty-two games for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Or fifty, or forty-nine. The stats on how many games he actually appeared in are a little bit all over the map. Mississippi State says it's fifty. A couple other outlets say forty-nine. College football reference is forty-two. Doesn't really matter though, because nineteen tackles for loss and seven sacks ends up with a sub one point zero production ratio anyway. So for our purposes, this has got a guy who's who's historically been all that productive, which is not necessarily a knock on him in and of itself, but uh, when coupled with his overall lack of athleticism, I think there is reason to be a little bit concerned. How athletic is he? Well, if you go by relative athletic score, not all that athletic. 1.42 relative athletic score, so it's it's tough to really see the the appeal here. He's not a productivity guy. Obviously not super productive. He's not a big traits guy because he doesn't have great athletic traits. So what is he really? I don't honestly know. But I'll offer this. I think he could be the Packers 2022 version of Ladarius Hamilton, a guy they had around for basically the entire season in a variety of capacities. Um, but he didn't really have great athletic traits either. He was not super productive in college, but he was just kind of around. A beefyish edge setter, uh, approximately the same size as Jones, a little bit lighter, a little bit smaller, but generally in the same ballpark size-wise. Just a, a beefy guy to take up some blocks on the edge, and you need some of those guys too, especially throughout training camp. If edge rushers are like quarterbacks, by and large, one of the most important roles on the defense, um, you, you need some camp bodies to get through camp. And maybe Jones is just that. I do have to say I'm a little bit irritated with the Packers just weeks after drafting a guy named Rashid Walker just to mess with me. I'm going to end up calling him Rashid Wallace at some point. They had a guy named Kobe, which is a little bit concerning because we're starting to get draftable draftable age guys named Kobe, presumably some connection to Kobe Bryant there. It just all makes me feel real old. I don't really like it. Uh, other guy the Packers added was Eli Wolf, a tight end most recently of Georgia. He also played at Tennessee, started his career as, at Tennessee as a 205-pound walk-on tight end, graduated in the 240s range. Uh, some outlets have him as light as 238. Doesn't really matter. That's not really his game. Size is not a big deal for him. Earned a scholarship at Tennessee, appeared in eight games during his time there, and caught eight passes. Ended up as a grad transfer to Georgia, caught 13 passes for 194 yards and a touchdown in 2019. Went undrafted in the 2020 draft, signed with Baltimore, ended up on their practice squad, didn't make it into a game ever there, uh, spent a couple years there, released last August, signed with the Colts, uh, and then was released by the Colts on Thursday. Not too much to distinguish him here statistically. 
In a private workout, he reportedly ran a 4.48 hand time 40-yard dash, which is real good. It would have been the fastest time in the 2020 draft class among tight ends. Hand time does give you some reservations, but even if he's two seconds worse than that, or two-tenths of a second worse than that, not two seconds, that'd be awful, two-tenths of a second worse than that, that's still pretty darn good. Say he runs a 4.68, you're, you're not super upset with that. That's a pretty good time for a tight end. It's not wide receiver fast, but we're not looking for a wide receiver. His brother, Ethan, played with the Packers briefly in 2019. Of note, Eli Wolf uh, played fullback at Tennessee briefly. So I think you're probably looking at him as as another option at F, at the F-back position in the mold of a guy like Josiah DeGuara or Dominique Daphne. He's a prospect, maybe not a particularly good one, but he seems to have some uh, desirable athletic traits and the Packers can probably work with that. You got to fill out that 90th spot on the roster somewhere. Interestingly, maybe maybe just to me, maybe to you too, but the Packers released Chris Blair, the wide receiver out of Alcorn State, uh, to make room for Wolf. Now, Blair has been kicking around the Packers roster for a couple of years now. It's been a while um, in, a, in a variety of capacities, uh, mostly on, on the practice squad, but has gotten some attention during training camp. And I wondered, I was like a week away from writing a piece about maybe Chris Blair makes some noise in, in training, cram- training camp again this year, and then he gets the ax for the Packers signing a seventh tight end. But that's what happens when the Packers draft three wide receivers and you've been a practice squad receiver for a couple of years. Them's the breaks. Packers schedule. They've got one. The NFL finally decided to just go all the way and release the darn thing. I wish we could do this differently. My gosh, is it is it exhausting. But we've got the entire schedule out. The opponents don't really matter. It In May, who you're playing does not matter. In theory, it does because you look at, say, like, an opponent like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You're probably going to have Tom Brady. They're probably going to have a pretty good defense. Blah, blah, blah. We all know that. But it's May. A lot of things could happen by now, by, between now and then. Um, just look at how the Packers 2017 schedule shaped out. Uh, that offseason, the Packers signed um, Martellus Bennett. Uh, it looked like Aaron Rodgers was set to build off a great 2016 season and headed into that season, headed into the first month or so, it looked like that was largely going to be pretty good. Martellus Bennett was not great early on, but he was rounding into shape, and Aaron Rodgers was on MVP pace through five weeks, four weeks. And then, well, what happened in Minnesota? Aaron Rodgers breaks his collarbone. Pretty soon it looks like he's going to be done for the year. Shortly after that, Martellus Bennett decides, you know what, Uh, maybe this isn't for me. And uh, retires, is released, whatever, ends up with the Patriots, blah, blah, blah. Point is, the Packers team changed dramatically between when we we first learned what their schedule was going to look like and when they actually ended up playing those games. So don't get too hung up on who the Packers are playing or even when they're playing them to a point. Because here's the big thing from this schedule is rest. Seth Walder of ESPN, one of their advanced stats guys, tracks rest differential. The Packers have the worst rest differential in the league. They are minus 13 days of rest relative to the opponents that they're going to be playing. They're getting less rest heading into every game than anybody they're going to be playing. That's a problem. Maybe not a big problem, but a problem and shouldn't go without being mentioned. The big reason for that is the Packers have no buy after their trip to London in week six. They return to Lambeau the following week and play the Jets at Lambeau Field. They do get a late bye this year, which is nice, week 14. Um, 
early reports seemed to indicate it would be around week six, which meant that if the Packers were going to go to the Super Bowl, there would have been 15 straight weeks without a break um, if they didn't get the bye in the first round of the playoffs, which would have been a bit concerning. To me, the most interesting stretch of the schedule, and really this has nothing to do with opponents because I said the opponents don't matter, happens in weeks four through nine. Four, five, and six, they are home against the Patriots. They are, air quotes, home against the Giants because they'll be in London. Then they're home against the Jets in week six. Then they travel on the road for three consecutive games. They're at Washington playing the Commanders for the first time. They are at Buffalo playing the Bills on Sunday night football. Then they are at Detroit to play the Lions. So home, 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 road, road, road with one not really home game mixed in there. That's interesting. I also take a look every year when the schedule drops at the primetime games because I, you know, with two kids, I prefer, prefer the primetime games. You don't have to, you can watch the games without, without any interference from kids because they're in bed and hopefully are staying there, though that has been a bit of an issue in the Meerding household lately. Um, the Packers have six primetime or atypical games. One of those games is London, so that's not a primetime game, but it's an atypical start time. We'll, we'll get a bit of a different look that week. But the Packers play on Sunday night football in week two against the Bears. They play on Sunday night football in week eight against the Bills. They play on Thursday night football in week 11 against the Titans. They play on Sunday night football again in week 12 against the Eagles. And then they play on Monday night football in week 15 against the Rams. Just looking at those five primetime games for sure, if I had to guess, I would say Week 12 probably gets bumped off of Sunday Night Football. Uh, by that point in the season, there will probably be a more appealing matchup for the NFL than Packers-Eagles, especially since the NFC East is not all that interesting this year. I mean, the Eagles have some some interesting pieces, to be sure, and they could be a playoff team this year. But I would just guess there's probably going to be a slightly more interesting matchup than Packers-Eagles. That Monday night football game against the Rams in Week 15 might be the game of the year if you look at the schedule right now. It could also mean nothing because Week 15 is a billion years away. Keep that in mind as you look at the schedule in in all facets. All of these games are approximately a billion years away. So whatever is going to happen with the Packers, I mean, a lot of things are going to to shake out between now and then. The Packers roster could look markedly different, though that's probably not super likely, that injuries are going to have a big factor here, and just how the, the season shakes out is going to have a big effect. Before we dive into the final thing I want to talk about today, I want to give a second, or get, take a second to give some shout-outs to a couple of our Patreon supporters. I've got six of them I want to shout-out today, because I had three written down in the last episode and forgot to mention their names. So John Mace, Tommy, and Dave B., thank you so much for being Patreon supporters. I would like to, to bring this up again because it's it's super important to something we're going to be starting here in the relatively near future. I ordered my copy of The Games Within the Game yesterday. That is the book that we are going to be discussing for the Blue 58 Book Club this year. And of course, you'll be able to access everything that I say just as normal on Blue 58. But if you want to go deeper, a great place to do that would be in our Discord server. We have an entire channel set up for the Blue 58 Book Club. I'll share relevant video clips and things like that from the games that we talk about. And you'll have an opportunity to talk with Packers fans from around the world there, too. So, how do you get in there? You've got to be a Patreon supporter. Patreon.com slash ThePowerSweep. Contribute any amount per month, uh, and you get access to everything that we have to offer. This is really a pay-what-you-want sort of situation. I want you to feel comfortable with whatever you're giving to support the Power Sweep. 
That's what we've got set up for you to do. So do that at patreon.com slash thepowersweep, and you'll get access to the Discord. You can have an opportunity to discuss um, the book we're working through for the Blue 58 Book Club and just hang out with Packers fans from around the world. And lest you think it is all Packers talk all the time, it is not. We've got a lively string of discussions going on a variety of topics at any given time. Previous fascinations have included Wordle, but lately we've been on a Dungeons & Dragons kick. There's all sorts of... Um, all sorts of different people in there, all sorts of different interests, and it's a great place to just hang out. It's a good group of people. We love the community there, and I hope you take a second to join it and become a part of it. In addition to the three we already uh, shouted out, I would like to give a shout-out to, to Luke O'Sullivan, Isaiah Warnke, and Andy Seaton, all faithful Patreon supporters there, too. So thank you to each of you who has taken the plunge there, and if you haven't so far, uh, I hope you at least consider it. I want to spend some time talking today about explosive plays. We had a good question in our Discord server, a good discussion about explosive plays, uh, starting from regular Discord contributor Ray Pese Bay. Uh, the question there basically pertains to how are the Packers going to, how are they going to replace the production from Devontae Adams? And that is a fair question because last year in our explosive plays tracking, uh, Devontae Adams set a record with 34 in a season. I've got data now going back to 2008. I've spent part of the offseason so far updating my records there. And Devontae Adams had a, no, well, I guess there's really no other way to put it, an unprecedented season. Nobody else has had 34 explosive plays in a year before. The previous record was um, Randall Cobb with 31, I believe. I've got to find it here in my notes. Uh, but the point is that, uh, yeah, 31 back in 2014. Uh, the point is that Devontae Adams had a phenomenal season in 2021, and he's been the Packers' main generator of explosive plays for a few years now. So with him off in Las Vegas, what do the Packers do with their explosive plays? That is a big question. There's no clear answer, but I think if you're looking at the Packers' roster and you're looking at how they have done producing explosive plays over the past six or seven years, you should feel fairly confident that things are not necessarily just going to tank. Now, it's great to produce those big chunk plays. It's great to produce, you know, a lot of yardage one play at a time. And it's great if you've got one guy who can do it, just play in and play out. But here's the big but. The Packers' explosive plays play totals don't really change all that much from year to year. Dating back to 2015, they've produced essentially the same number, number of explosive plays with some minor variation from season to season. And I go back to 2015 because that encompasses the basically the ascension and now departure of Devontae Adams and Jordy Nelson and even a guy like Mike McCarthy who affected the Packers' offense in a significant way, too. Dating back to 2015, here has how, here's how the Packers' explosive plays have shaken out on a year-by-year -year basis. Basis, 118 in 2015, 118 in 2016, down to 90 in 2017. We'll talk about why that is in a second. Back up to 116 in 2018, 107 in 2019, 111 in 2020, and 112 in 2021. Between 118 and 112 every year except 2017 and what happened in 2017, Aaron Rodgers spent the most of the season, the, the vast majority of the season, on the sideline with a broken collarbone. So, 
I think we can take away from that that the Packers' explosive play production, as long as they have Aaron Rodgers, is going to be pretty stable. Because in that span, Devontae Adams has not always been a consistent producer of explosive plays. To wit, he had eight, nine in 2015. He had 26 in 2016, but down to 14 in 2017. 29 and 18, 17 and 19, 25 and 2020, 34 and 2021. A big contributor, to be sure, but not the sole contributor. I think it's fair to say that explosive plays are more a function of the offense than they are the production of an individual player. And I think that we can attribute the big rise in Devontae Adams' explosive plays to being, and I want to be kind to other receivers on the roster, but essentially the only receiver on the roster who can win one-on-one. That reality is gone. The Packers don't have a Devontae Adams on the roster. They don't have an approximation of Devontae Adams on the roster, but they do still have Aaron Rodgers, and they also have Matt LaFleur, which means that they've got two of the big components that go into creating those explosive plays. They've got a quarterback who can execute them, and they've got a play caller who can help create situations where explosive plays can happen. Those are two really big, important factors. So I'm optimistic that the Packers can replace that explosive play production with the structure of the offense. On top of that, I think it should be noted that the Packers have added two important things uh, to their offense this year, speed and guys that are good creating after the catch. That hasn't necessarily been the strength of their pass catching core in the past, though Devonta Adams certainly was pretty good at creating after the catch. I think his big strength was in like the first two thirds of the play, getting off the line, finding a soft spot on the defense. And then whatever he got after the catch, I think was basically a bonus. A lot of that too had to do with the the blocking on screens and stuff like that, which we should point out the Packers reliance on wide receiver screens probably hurt their offense as much as it helped them. It's an inherently inefficient play and the Packers should, would, should probably bump it out of the playbook as much as they can. I know that Aaron Rodgers loves to run those smoke screens. I know that Matt LaFleur loves to run screens for wide receivers in general. It's just not a very effective play. And the Packers would be served better by trying to push the ball down the field a little bit further. But back to my point, the Packers have added speed at wide receiver this offseason. Christian Watson, a genuine speed threat. Romeo Dubs, a genuine speed threat. Samori Touré, a genuine speed threat. Sammy Watkins, even in his diminished athletic capacity on the wrong side of 30, speed has always been his game. And even if you look at his his numbers with, with Baltimore, with Kansas City, speed was not a super big problem. The Packers should be able to push the ball down the field a little bit more because they have more guys who can consistently get down the field. And they should be able to create more run-after-the-catch opportunities with guys who have that kind of speed. Now, getting yards after the catch is not always a, a function of being fast. That is true. But I think it's a lot easier to create run-after-the-catch opportunities with guys who do have significant speed than it is to, to do the same with guys who don't. I think that's just a, a logical conclusion. It's a lot easier to find Marquez Valdez-Scantling to use a for instance, opportunities to get the ball in space and move than it is for Alan Lazard. I think that's just a fact. And I don't think that anybody would really, really um, 
dispute that. Now, Lazard might be better with the ball in his hands than MVS was. That's fair. But nobody is going to argue that MVS isn't faster than Alan Lazard. So even if he doesn't have the skill, the vision that comes with trying to run in the open field and stuff like that, he needs a lot less support to get big yards after the catch than a guy like Lazard does. And that, I think, is true of the Packers receiving core this year more than any year in the past. It's true. They may not have guys whose primary skill set is is the vision or, or reading of blocks to set up big plays down the field. But what they do have is speed. They need a lot less of that support. So even with the the minimal scheming that it would take to set up blocks and things like that, they'll just need less of it. They don't need the support to create those big plays that uh, that a guy like a Lazard might need. And Alan Lazard, of course, still on the roster. And I feel like I'm picking on him a little bit unnecessarily today. He's, of course, a very fine player. Big, We're a big fan of Alan Lazard on this podcast. What I'm saying is the Packers shouldn't have a ton of problems recl- replacing the overall volume. Now, I think you're you're still going to see a a broader picture of explosive plays in in 2020, 2022 than you saw in 2021. I mean, just as an example, last year you had Devontae Adams with 34 explosive plays, and then there were only two other guys who had double digits. Aaron Jones had 17, and Alan Lazard had 14. I think you're probably going to see a lot more guys in the like 15 to 20 range this year, or maybe 10 to 15 range this year than he did last season. And that's going to be a good thing because that'll be a, that'll mean a healthier offense overall. I take issue with some of the Aaron Rodgers played hero ball stuff in the playoffs, you know, after looking at that a little bit more, although that was certainly a problem at times throughout the 2020 and 2021 season. Now there's going to be no choice. There's, there is no Devontae Adams on the roster. The Packers are going to need contributions from more guys in 2022 than they had in 2021. And I think just as a function of who they have on the roster now and how their roster or how their offense is going to have to be struggle, structured, they're going to be able to get more contributions from different points on the roster. That's all I've got for you on this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I hope you'll take a second and share it with someone you think would enjoy it as well. That's going to help more people find the show. That is the number one way that we grow. And ultimately, it's going to get more people involved in the conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.